kids behind the bus time. From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Horizon Captain Joshua Kong and teammates Peter Garnache and Kyle Iola. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have two news items for you today. First up, BattleBots builders and captains again to come top prizes at the NHRL Championships this month. In the Beatles, Lynx builder slash Madcatter driver Calvin Eba successfully defended his 2021 title, defeating Ribot captain David Jin, who took home second place. In the 12s, huge teammates Don Dorfler and Joe Dorfler defeated Yabnal to take home first place. And in the 30s, it was Emulsifier Captain Matt Boris, who came out on top, defeating David Jin and Polyester. NHRL did something very cool and new this year, allowing all 72 qualifying builders to donate $5,000 to the STEM nonprofits of their choice. Additionally, the winners of each weight class were able to donate another quarter million dollars to the nonprofits of their choice. Calvin Eba was fighting on behalf of Southern California Attack Robots, a local combat robotics league that will reportedly use the money to build a 30-pound arena in the LA area. The Dorflers decide to split their nonprofit proceeds with Chris Rummel and Yabnal, donating $125,000 to their high school and the other $125,000 to Growing Stems, an educational robotics program in Maryland. And in the 30s, Matt Boris and his team donated their proceeds to Bots IQ, which puts on combat robotics competitions in Pennsylvania. I want to pause here. Uh, the championships, the best one that we've ever had, uh, really just incredibly high caliber of competition and robots. The $1 million in nonprofit donations just was the cherry on top. And I really think just put this incredible bow on, on the event. I would love to get your thoughts. You know, it's been a couple of weeks since the championships. I know that we, we took a week off to, to recover, but uh, your, your, your thoughts on, uh, on the finals this year. Can you imagine being a small high school robotics program and then all of a sudden someone just calls you <laughs> and says, <laughs> um, I'm going to give you $125,000 for nothing. Just no strings attached. No strings. <laughs> you just get it. You just get to have it. I'm I'm floored. It's it's wild. I mean, listen, Plum High School, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're probably going to do great things with that money. I mean, listen, if we come back in a year from now and the, uh, the principal is driving, you know, like a Bentley or something, we'll know that some, some horrible fraud has, has taken place. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, yeah, that, like, what could, a, what could a high school robotics program do with $100,000? Like, I, I can't even imagine, like, where, where you go from, like, zero to 100, like, I guess, literally, um, with with that kind of money, I mean, like, isn't it like a first robot? It's only like a thousand bucks or something, right? To like build. It's like uh, you're you're going from like, um, oh, we have a three D pen and we have a ThinkPad to uh, where can we put a Tormach machine? <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 incredible 
the I mean, think about just the investment in, in a high school program to put uh, materials and equipment in place that's not just going to service, you know, you know, this 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 oncoming year of students, but will be there, you know, you know, in continuum for 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 years to come. And the the kids that end up coming out of those programs are going to have that much more of a leg up getting ready to go into uh, college or pursuing any, you know, uh, en- any engineering routes that would, you know, leverage some of that, uh, that technical knowledge. And it's, it's, it's really wild to think about that there could be hundreds of lives that are impacted uh, for the better because these kids are going to have resources like this. And that is, um, it's really heartwarming. Also, uh, I really loved another element of uh, the NHRL finals, and that was the awards that were outside of um, the Sparkies. Yeah, the Sparkies. Uh, first of all, the Sparkies, gorgeous and thoughtful. And, you know, if you haven't seen them, I would definitely check them out on, uh, you know, the NHRL Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, hat tip to uh, Sam, the evil henchman, uh, for making them. They were really a work of art. They really were. and. The fact that some of my favorite human beings like, uh, you know, Zoe uh, and Tom were recipients of these awards. Like uh, that, I mean, I, there were it was the first time at NHRL that I almost welled up at the desk several times. Uh, and so it was really maybe my favorite event that I ever attended. And even when Jamison Go won, I think it was MVP. Uh, and he was like, who picked me? It was, I don't know. I just thought like it added a, it was really sweet. Yeah. It was so sweet. It added a really, um, a, a different element, I think to the competition that I really enjoyed seeing and I hope they continue it on for next year. Agreed. All right. Speaking of, uh, Sparkies, let's talk about, uh, Calvin Eba who not only won the golden Brett for his division, but also won two and a half Sparkies on top of it. Yes. He got best driver award. He got one half of the best fight award. And what was the, the third Sparky that he won? Was it most, most innovative spot? No, that was, uh, that was the Casmers. Most. I think maybe most. it was only one and a half or did he win a second? No, it was two no. and a half. It's two wow. and a half, yeah. I've got to look at the list. Yeah. Oh, best driver? No, you said best driver. All right. Yeah, I got it. Got to go back and look at that. I mean, yeah. I mean, the finals. It was it was Calvin's show. Like, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> is can anyone defeat Calvin Eva on the planet in the Beatles? Like, is it even possible, Kyle? What What, what do you think? Yeah, hard to say. I mean, um, there were some definite contenders that could have at this competition, but none of them ended up facing him. You know what I mean, Brian? But we didn't get to really see the eruption versus the Lynx uh, with both of them at the peak of their powers that we wanted to see. We didn't get to see um, eruption or Lynx versus uh, Silent Spring, the rematch that we all really wanted to see. So, um, you know, the the path to Calvin's victory, I would not call it an easy path by any means, but a lot of those like marquee matchups that we wanted to see, we didn't get this time around. That's just the joys of a double elimination tournament. You know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting. It's interesting. I am very, I'm very interested to find out uh, how that goes in the future. Cause you know that this version of 
um, Silent Spring was kind of designed with Lynx in mind. Now, obviously, he had some new bot jitters with that bot, but um, I still want to see kind of how that design matches up against the Lynx as he currently is. Oh, and by the way, it was uh, Mixtape was voted Most Fun Robot. That was the other Sparky Award. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, listen, he's a great driver. He makes fun robots, and he puts on good fights. So, like, uh, <laughs> I understand yeah. it. Yeah, you know? and... And he's one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's, he's back helping everybody out in the pits. He's super friendly. He has like, you know, you've seen in a bunch of the YouTube videos, he has really great conversations with his opponents before and after the match. Like he's super generous and gracious. He's great. Like, um, Calvin Eva all around super good guy, super good for the sport deserves every single Sparky and uh golden Brett that he has right now, which I believe he has two golden Bretts. And two and a half Sparkies. That's got to be a record. Speaking of Calvin, um, I am really excited to see what Scar is going to do with the money. Um, a quarter million dollars to a local robotics league is like an unheard of amount. I think that it officially makes it probably the second or third best funded robotics league in North America. Um <laughs> And, you know, like they, they had been talking about building this 30 pound box and now it's basically guaranteed because they have the funding for it. So it's really cool to see that we, we could have 12s and 30s on the West Coast, 12s and 30s on the East Coast, and it's just better for the sport in general. Um, so, yeah, stoked, stoked to see what what Scar does with with the money. I mean, to, to, to even put it into further perspective, I had a chance to catch up with uh, my cousin Jackson, captain of Darkseid at our family's annual COVID super spreader Christmas <laughs> extravaganza. Um, and, you know, he got the $5,000 for just making, you know, the finals, uh, which he donated to his high school robotics program, Kingston High School Robotics, uh, Go Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he had talked to the faculty ahead of time to let him know about, you know, this, uh, this this incoming stimulus and i guess they told him like the most money they had ever been donated before was like $300 so like $5000 kind of just blew that right out of the water but here we have a couple of you know folks out there that were able to give away just so much more than that <laughs> and it really would light a fire you know under uh under builders to uh to cook something up really special for 2023 because like I, I love the fact that this money's out there to do good instead of um it it really kind of being a lump sum to hand directly to builders, which would I think kind of drive different characteristics uh and maybe make the whole competition a little bit more cutthroat. Um but this this ties everything back to, you know, there's there's good in, in the purpose and uh it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. I have a off topic uh question on on topic to nhrl did anybody predict any well other than links which i think maybe we all predicted i feel like um i i saw agvs taking something home Mm. um and that didn't happen did anybody else you know have the rest of their kind of brackets busted at at any point i was certain that yahoo was taking 30 i was certain um and you know Chad did make it so far into the into the finals. Uh, and also, was, also yeah. happy birthday, Chad! Oh, happy birthday, Chad! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was convinced that uh, Brian Boxel and Eruption were going to take uh, Beatles. 
that robot's in top form. It's working great. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think it's really hitting its stride. And uh, it's a really credible contender to the, the top Beatles in the world. Um, so I think that uh, I'm going to continue to watch Eruption. I think Eruption maybe came in fourth. So a real super respectable, uh, you know, finish for, for Brian. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I was expecting, I, I, I honestly didn't think Lynx could do it back to back. He hasn't really touched the robot that much this year. Um, so, I mean, he was running a 2021 design and it is optimized. It was optimized a year ago, which is just wild to consider. Do we want to touch at all on the, um, on the subject matter of, uh, timing between fights? Cause I know that that was an ongoing conversation post, uh, finals. Yeah. I mean, you know, your, your thoughts on it, Chris, obviously running a, um, a competition that you know, is, is something that, uh, builders can enjoy and participate in and leave fulfilled, but also, you know, creating a 12 to 16 hour live broadcast designed to entertain those that like to watch, uh, said builders and robots. That's a, that's a really complicated task. And you know, one of the things that is true about the competition is that the bracket uh, has no allies and it has no enemies. Um, but it will often, uh, you know, pigeonhole uh, builders into one of those categories just based on the way things kind of fall into place. You don't know going into the competition whether or not you're going to be sitting for three hours and then have two back-to-back fights. You don't know if things are going to be spread out, you know, you know, kind of a peanut butter spread for you where you're going to have ample time to go and fix your bots. It's one of the challenges that makes a competition fun. And hopefully, you know, you, you, you're, you're exhausted at the end of a competition because you're competing uh, against other builders that are some of the best in the world like nobody nobody leaves you know uh the world cup being like you know uh i gave it like 80 percent because they gave us so many time in between our soccer matches or, or football matches uh you know it's you you go and you give 100 percent, and especially here in the finals now you know it sucks when the cards land and you have exactly 20 minutes to uh, you know, from the time that you sit back down at your uh, at your pit table, to um, essentially making your way back towards the green room, that's really really hard. Doesn't matter if you have a thirty pounder or a three pounder, but that's the competition, um, and that's the way the law is kind of written. And some people are going to um, kind of thrive under that pressure. Some people are just going to get a really easy breakdown for, for timing and scheduling. Um, and someday you're going to be the one that lucks out. And someday you're going to be the ones that, uh, you know, are kind of in the crosshairs of that, of that ticking clock. And it's, it's unfortunate that the ticking clock, you know, targets some people at the world championships, but there's always going to be a ticking clock. Um, and unless we moved to a multiple day format, which 
creates a whole new set of complications. Now we have to have more people in staying for longer. It costs more money. It's, 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 it's a challenge. There's no magic bullet. Um, so, you know, there's, there's things that you can do to prepare yourself for this kind of schedule. Some of it costs more money. Bringing multiple bots costs more money. Um, bringing more spares costs more money. Uh, bringing additional teammates costs more money, but you know, there's, there's, there's things that you can probably do ahead of time to, to prepare yourself. And you know, there's things that you're just going to have to improvise on the spot. And that's the competition. I imagine also when you are bringing multiple robots across multiple weight classes, like that definitely increases the challenge probably in ways that you might not be able to anticipate. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's definitely room for NHRL to kind of improve the processes around people who have multiple robots. Um, I think there's maybe, you know, communication breakdowns uh, between some of the staff and knowing, you know, who who has multiple bots and whatnot. Um, But at the same time, like if you're if you are bringing like the same amount of, you know, pit crew maybe it's just you maybe there are others but you're bringing three or four or two i don't know whatever robots like for the championship it's gonna be harder yeah and and some of the things that you know you encounter during a regular tournament it it kind of the pressure gets amplified and the challenge gets amplified because you're not you know, there's a whole array of robots that come to a regular event. Some of them you might have an easier time with. Some of them you might have a harder time with. But every single robot that you face in the finals is going to leave your bot worse for wear. Yeah. And so if you're so I think the amount of time that you're used to repairing or working on your bot in between matches during a regular event, that kind of has to you have to factor in that change for the finals because you're not you're not just facing, you know, um dark side. <laughs> well, in this case, <laughs> some people did face dark side, but yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Um and so it's hard. It's hard. You know, everyone is guaranteed 20 minutes. Everything on top of that is gravy. Um I think that that rule is probably arbitrary. Maybe it needs to be revisited. Um but everyone knew going into this event that it was 20 minutes. Um, and so it's hard. It's hard because I feel for the builder so much. I know how much every single person put into being able to be there and how much everybody wanted to win. Um, and so I feel for that, you know, like it's freaking sucks to be disqualified. I can't imagine that feeling. Um, And so I I do hope that there is, you know, some um, way to kind of work and to improve that in 2023. I know NHRL, the staff, Kelly is taking this incredibly seriously. Yeah, she really has been. Um, And that's, you know, one thing I will say for NHRL, it's young and it's growing, like you said, Luke. And, you know, these were the biggest finals that and that we've had the most was on the line for this. And things are still getting worked out, you know, and <laughs> HRL has only been operating at this level for like two years. Right. Um, I don't think anybody is out there trying to purposely hurt the builders uh, very much the opposite of that. But, it, you know, there's still things that happen 
it's it's just you know i feel for everybody all around um but yeah if you're going to come to the finals especially with multiple bots like you have to have a plan in place for that because it's not just a regular tournament anymore right and finally, about about seven returns to the Discovery Channel on Thursday, January 5th at 8 p.m., followed by a special episode at 10 p.m. New this season, all 50 robots got a list of their four qualifying fights at the start of the season so they could build strategies for each opponent ahead of time. About about supporters were given early access to each of those qualifying matchups, giving you one more reason why you should sign up to become a about about supporter on Facebook. For non-supporters, BattleBots will release the complete fight list shortly before the season premiere next week. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Joshua, Peter, and Kyle. This week on the podcast, we have three very special guests. Horizon Captain Joshua Kong, and teammates Kyle Iola and Peter Garnash. Horizon is one of the most intriguing and striking robots of the year, with dual horizontal spinners attached to the opposite ends of a very long arm mounted on top of a conventional four-wheel drive robot. Diehard fans of NHRL got to see an early prototype of the design in the form of Skyline and Dusk, which the team ran at Norwalk last year. Meanwhile, Peter has been picking up fans at NHRL himself with his Beetleweights Ablation, Ablation Retro, and Hyperlinks. We're looking forward to learning a lot more about Horizon in the hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Joshua, Kyle, and Peter. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. No one ever welcomes (laughs) us. I like that. (laughs) This is a new tradition. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right, so uh, thank you all so much for joining us. And whenever we have multiple guests on like this, we think that it's best if we open the mic to introduce uh, yourselves. So uh, kicking off uh, with with you, Peter, uh, would you like to introduce one of your teammates? Yeah, I'll introduce Kyle. Kyle is one of the best roboteers that I've had the pleasure of meeting through my journey uh, fighting robots. And I mean, he builds the craziest robots possible. So I wouldn't expect to see him on any team other than Horizon. I mean, his team's slogan is, it's not should you build it, but can you build it? And he can. All right. uh, Well, well, Kyle, uh, would you like to introduce one of your teammates? Yeah, I guess I'll start with Josh. So, ah, gosh. I could say it's like he tells enough for making like a lot of very unique robot designs, and uh, well, there's Horizon. That's uh, definitely something that I haven't been, I haven't seen before, and you know, of course, everyone else has hasn't seen before. That's why I guess he's our captain. All right, and take us home, Josh. So, I guess you probably know Peter because he's probably sold his gearboxes already. Um, he's probably one of the more prolific small weight class builders like ablation is frequently in the top on uh is frequently a top drink robot on like robot com events and stuff more recently he's done a uh, abaddon which is absolutely crazy and uh yeah he makes pretty good uh, gear motors too so yeah all right so this <laughs> you're all a weird bunch i like it um you uh you all just competed uh, this past season at BattleBots. Can you tell us a little bit more about your team that you had brought there? 
Uh, and, you know, what was the experience like for you? So I think we had, had like 13 people. It's a relatively big team. And this was a big shock because last year we were like five people. I didn't expect this to explode, but apparently a lot of people want to build like a weaponized teacup ride, which is awesome. I feel, I feel like everyone like each had their own like strengths and different things that we all utilized. Like, I know like, Peter helped us a lot with the uh, CAD and organization and all that type of stuff. Um, and remember other things, but uh, that, that's one of the things that that's very notable for me. Yeah, big props to Peter, actually. I think his like logistical knowledge and stuff really carried us through the uh, preseason where we're planning how to build this robot, where the money comes from and everything. And uh, it certainly made, you know, figuring out what we needed easier. The uh, CAD overall was more organized. And, uh, you know, that's really what keeps you on time, right? If you don't have to, like, sift through CAD files, there's no, like, sort of fog of war in that sense. Yeah, we really had a dozen people um, on the team. And each one, it kind of seemed like it was a bus that started with Josh, Kyle and Alon, and then they just started picking people up along the way. Um, they were like, we need someone who can do this. And they grabbed someone and, and kept on going. And everybody really had a role that they played and they did it pretty well. Um, it was an awesome experience. It was my first time as a competitor at BattleBots and it was half of our team's first times there. Um, it was Kyle's first time driving in, in the heavyweight arena and I think we had an awesome run. I think we had a lot of fun. And I think we, best of all, put on a show for everyone watching. So you also managed to recruit Hotcoin uh, himself for your team roster this year. What's that all about? So I guess we've had uh, links to Hotcoin for a while because uh, one of our friends, Derek from uh, Gigabyte, he he sort of knows Hotcoin through Nerf. And uh, I guess we've sort of been, uh, some of our other members have been sort of conversing with him over the months that he's been in the community. So eventually we're like, oh, you want to you wanna just come over and do graphic work for us? And uh, he, we actually invited him to server while we were discussing stuff. And he immediately starts drawing these like little concepts. It's crazy. He takes like a minute and like perfectly describes what you're looking for. He obviously has you know, good idea of like the aesthetics, but also like the aesthetics of engineering, I guess, the aesthetics of functionality. And I think that was something that was great to have on the team. It also made our like promotional material look a lot better. And uh, I think overall just having like, he has been a indispensable part of the team. So I will say um, when we all met up in California for Smashbots last year, which was about, about a year ago now, um we stole hotcoin before or i guess justin we stole justin before anyone else could um i met him at at that time when we when we met together as a team pretty much for the first time and he had been in the country for two weeks at that point he lived in malaysia before and so we really just like it seemed like he showed up in the country and we were like hey you want to build a battle bot you want to like you want to draw some pictures for us and we kind of just got him on board. And like Josh was saying, I haven't seen anybody who can ever just immediately create a drawing that visualizes an idea so well. Um, 
and just turn words and thoughts into 2D art or 3D art or something that we can build off of. It was really just amazing seeing his mind work as as we were building this robot and through late night discussions trying to figure out what we should look like. And I mean, I think we would have had a lot less colors and a lot of black t-shirts if we didn't have uh, him on our team. Yeah, I keep forgetting that he like immigrated from Malaysia. Like it's it was definitely like a happy coincidence that he even got to work with us because we found out like, oh, you're moving to California. That's crazy because now we have like most of our team in California. And it was still a logistical nightmare getting from NorCal to SoCal, but you know it was better than like having people in like you know I don't know somewhere in like Alabama or something. Sheboygan, that's my go-to. I always say, yeah, it's like, you you don't want to have a team member in Sheboygan. Is Sheboygan even a place? It sure is. Where is it? Um, Wisconsin? Oh, yeah. Wait. Well, now you got to Google it. What's wrong with having team members in Wisconsin? They have good cheese up there. It's Sheboygan specifically. (laughs) For some reason, I I have a real serious problem with people from Sheboygan. Sheboygan uh, is in Wisconsin in Sheboygan County and has a population of 49,929 at the time of the 2020 census. So there you go. I think Wisconsin probably has more cities than people. I don't know how it's possible. Yeah, right. <laughs> they probably have like more lakes than people, more cities than people, more more cows than people. And they're all named after people. That's crazy. <laughs> Let's just turn this into a Wisconsin hate podcast. <laughs> Behind the boy. If you guys are going to Wisconsin hate, I I mean, I lived right next to Wisconsin growing up, and you can't Wisconsin hate if you haven't, like, gone up there and gotten fresh cheese curds from a gas station. Ooh. Yeah. Like, there's really nothing that compares to that. I feel like I would actually enjoy Wisconsin, so I'm not here to hate on it. We neighbor Vermont, though, so we're no stranger to cheese curds. Yeah, this is a, a, a dairy-heavy area of the country. We're dairy pe- people as well. <laughs> well, apparently not as dairy-full as Wisconsin. That is, that is, yeah. yeah. Well. I mean, in robotics competitions, when the Wisconsin team showed up, they were all wearing cheese slices on their head. Like, <laughs> I haven't heard anyone from where you guys are wearing cheese blocks on their head type of they they do that to insulate themselves from the harsh winters <laughs> <laughs> it's like a portable food source too right if you get stuck in a snow drift they're good for a couple of days. i mean they use cheddar there for everything <laughs> it's a food source they use it to build their homes they use it they drive cheese blocks to work it's a it, very impressive cheese-based culture it heats their homes <laughs> <laughs> Well, they eat they eat the cheese and then they heat their homes. Okay, okay, okay. Let's get back on track. Here. Let's get back on track. All right. So uh, we have our first listener question comes from Viva Tribal, who asks, uh, "You have a pretty diverse team with people like Elon, Tommy Wong, and of course Peter and Kyle. Can you tell us a little bit about what everyone does on the team and you know their role?" I, I mean, if we started and we listed off every team member and went through all of the roles and responsibilities they have, I mean, we'd be here till noon tomorrow. There's just so much that has to get done. And we have so many different people doing different things. Um, we almost have a person and a half for everything that needs to get done. It's really hard to give you a full list. But I think like we did have, 
I will point out we did have a couple people who like specialize in certain things. Sometimes when you have like four or five people on a team, you can't really do that. But I think some of our most like uh, important players were definitely the uh, like the social media and sponsorship team, which was mostly Price, Justin, and Alicia. Uh, having them dedicated to that like gave us a good amount of funds because we're able to, you know, effectively meet with these sponsors and have a good pitch. Um, we also have Kai, who is uh, bringing in some interesting new ESC technology. He he sort of hates VESC, right? So he developed this ESC that is trying to be a lot better. And you, you'll see people out there in the battery tent tuning VESC for hours. Um, we just hit one button and it's done. Uh, so that that was a massive uh, help to us actually being able to get in the arenas, not having to worry about ESC tuning. Kai's an absolute wizard. Um, he really knows his stuff when it comes to electronics. And, you know, at first he thought, you know, maybe this battle boss thing isn't for me. But one of the cool things is that he did find his people there, his uh, fellow, like, electronics and motor control people. And, you know, by the end, he was, I think he definitely enjoyed it. I think he found all four of them on the planet. Yeah, yeah, but that's good, right? It's, it's like, how else do we collect these people together? Yeah, I guess let me run through the team roster. Um, we got Josh, who's our captain, um, and Josh ran the ARM setup, uh, did most of the CAD work for that. We have Price, who was our social media guru, making sure that people were knowing what was going on and in track of all that. Alon had experience, more BattleBots experience than really any of us, and so he brought all of the little like ex- wisdom bits and wrap kafton tape around this or make sure you zip tie that thing closed. Um, I did a lot of the logistics stuff. Um, I carried over my CAD structures and dealt with all the finances. My sister Alicia did some of the business side of things as well as tried to lure bigger corporate sponsors, which is what she does for a day job. Kyle was in charge of the drive base. He's the reason that our robot zooms around the way it does. Um, Justin, which you guys know is Hotcoin, did most of the theming and all of the, a lot of the social media art type of stuff and a lot of drawing. Uh, Dylan did a lot of help with DFM on certain aspects of the robot, just shaving cost where we can and making sure our parts are strong. Connor was in charge of safety when we showed up. He was the one turning the robot on and handling the live robot. Uh, Tommy showed up and brought a minibot like he has years in the past and was there before just for moral support and guidance because he's built crazy things with two spinners on either end. And then, like Josh was saying, Kai showed up, looked at the entirety of Vesk, which every single BattleBots team, it seems, use, and says, I'm smarter than that, and rebuilt a motor controller from scratch, which we had zero failures on in our entire season, which I don't know if any other BattleBots teams can say that. And that's really the whole team uh, in a row. I'm actually curious to unpack uh, the the Vesquos a little bit now. You know, I'm 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 not uh, I'm not a genius. I you know I do work on uh, very uh, complex and and you know um, uh, and highly technical products for for IBM. Uh, but for some reason, Vesk just makes me feel like a moron. <laughs> And I have failed with 
uh, Vesk so many times, but you have somehow now circumvented the Vesk woes and created something. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've created? Um, I think, you know, uh, I mean, if somebody else has a better idea of how this works, I'll let you get on that. Electrical systems are all black magic. You just put some pixies in and sometimes the smoke comes out. But for us, it doesn't. I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you what, from what I could gather from Kai. Well, apparently, like, one of the problems with Vesk is that, you know, some of the stuff is just not implemented correctly. You know, like, if your K value is off or something, the motor just spins backwards. So, I guess he's gone back, done a lot of the implementation, the fancy black magic math from scratch. Um, and he also uses this thing he calls saliency tracking, which uh, it, like, plays a signal through the motor. We So, the brushless motor, it needs to know where needs to know what like rotational position the can is in in order to send the correct pulse to the motor to spin the motor. If you just apply power to the motor arbitrarily, it won't spin. So he's found the way to uh, essentially improve the uh, invest is called HFI. Essentially it plays like a special signal through the motor wires and it looks at the response and it somehow works out how, where the can is. He's come up with a better way to do that, and it's quite reliable. You get very high torque from a standstill, which is something that stops a lot of teams. I'm getting some Ron Popeil vibes from this. You just set it and forget it. Yeah, I mean, it's black magic and... Well, sorry, I have an ESC guy. He's said and forget and hope it works. <laughs> I mean, he was he believed in his stuff so much that he was there for the first five days of filming and then he just left. He was like, Hey, my ESC's work. Goodbye. And I mean, they did. And he came back to hang out with us at the end. Once we were, we, well, like he literally showed up, we got stuff working and he was like, okay, I got stuff I got to do. I'll see you guys later. Honestly, that's pretty badass. <laughs> All right. So let's get into horizon. So, I need you folks to describe this robot for someone who hasn't seen it before, uh, because I would I would suggest what it looks like. It's a little bit like a um, if like a building a skyscraper, uh, you know, uh, like one of the towers, the construction towers on it, the boom cranes, like maybe had a, uh, you know, a, a child with some kind of, uh, you know. Power Wheels toy, um, <laughs> but I'll I'll let you folks describe it because you probably have all the good analogies up your sleeve. Okay, I could give a crack at it. Let's see, hmm, well, imagine you take a bridge, you make it free spin in the middle, and you put two tombstones on the end of it. That uh, that bridge is now spinning by itself from the rotation of the two bars from the robots and uh, it's spinning on top of a robot that just drives around. I don't know that that's my shot. I bet my other teammates also have some other ways to explain it as well. So I guess uh, the core principle of how the arm works is thing of Newton's third law, right? For every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. You look at a traditional horizontal spinner, like tombstone or a gigabyte, right? They have to spin this big blade or shell up, and to that they have to put a force in 
But when they're pushing, when they're twisting the shell around, they're also twisting the rest of the robot around. So you'll see like Tombstone maybe jerk off to one side when it um, when it starts spinning up, or you might see you know Gigabyte the pole is just spinning on top of the shell because the whole robot underneath is spinning because it's losing traction trying to spin up. So basically, so basically what uh, Horizon does is we take the spinners and we put them on this long free spinning part of the robot. So the arm has no motor attached to it, really. It's just like a bushing. Well, it's two bearings technically. But when we spin up, instead of spinning the whole robot around, it just spins the arm around. So our drive base is a separate part. It drives like a wedge because, you know, it's not being pulled off to one side by some sort of torque. And um, with the small drive base, you also get like pretty good maneuverability and turn rate too. So overall, we can drive pretty well, and we can actually use that because of how slow the arm spins to put the spinner into the sides of opponents. And uh, in battle bots with like UHMW and stuff playing less of a role, you stand a higher chance of permanently bending the other the other robot's frame and you know just generally doing more functional damage with the side shot. So we got a good question from BattleBot superfan Ryder Lee Angle who wants to know. Where did the idea for Skyline and Horizon come from? So this idea, geez, it's been like four years already? Almost four years. Just over three, I think. But uh, in late 2019, I was looking at ways to, uh, you know, sort of counter the vert meta. A lot of the verts are using, are putting a lot of weight into the front end. So, you know, let's try hitting them from the side. And, you know, there's... A very niche subset of robots that are designed to do that. I'll put one of my big inspirations as a binary finery from Ted Shimoda, which is one of the older robots, I think 2000s, early 2000s era. And it uses this powered, big powered bar with two wedges on the ends. And it like scoops opponents from the side. Well, I said like, let's, let's weaponize this. Let's put two spinners on the ends. And lo and behold, because of the torque reaction, you don't even need to power the arm. So there's additional benefits there. Because of how fast the uh, tip speed of the arm is, you're going to get consistent bite and consistent hits. So overall, it just seemed like a pretty interesting idea that we had to try out. What is, what is the, uh, that, I would say, you know, the, the spin-up time for the overall arm system? Um, you know, how fast can you get that thing going uh, to, you know... a your, your top tip speed. I mean, it definitely depends on what point of the season you're talking about. When we started, we didn't really have a safe place to test the robot. And so we hadn't done enough testing to get it working the way we needed to. But by the end of the season, I think we were at deadly or dangerous in four and top speed in 12. Something like that. There's a couple spin up videos on our social media that you can look at in time to see how long it took to get up to speed. But by the end of the season, but once we were getting going. I don't know if we have the late season one up yet, but you can see like our initial values. I think what it came down to is we had underestimated the amount of current our motors would put out. So we, over the course of the season, we would slowly, as we got brave enough, uh, loosen the uh, amperage restrictions a little bit on the ESC software. We also did things like uh, put actual thrust bearings in the... Uh, in the weapon blocks since they were bushing before. And we had, we did have problems with bearing or bushings throughout the season, but you know, none of them really impeded our spin up. 
All right. So I got a um, a question here from Deep Six team member and frequent NHRL judge, Andrew Russell, who asks, having built the 12-pound version of Horizon Skyline, uh, what were some of the biggest challenges the team faced when scaling up the design? Ooh, I would definitely say balancing out the weight. Yes. Because like we did like an initial like design of it, and a part of it was like at the robotic event, and then we ended up doing like little weight calculations here and there. Like, oh no, this thing's a bit kind of heavy because like usually, well, what Skyline taught us is that you kind of want to leave. I forgot what the percentage was. Maybe it was around seventy percent or seventy. I don't know, somewhere around that. Like, you want seventy five percent. Yeah, no, the, the our mass is disproportionate. Yeah. Um, let's see. But it definitely taught us about weight. We ended up, like, I guess we probably freaked out a bit too much about the weight and ended up being underweight. I think we were, like, 20. But it was pretty nice because it allowed us to play around with some things. Yeah. um, It was just such a new challenge. Because as a person who designed the arm, I just didn't know what, you know, what works to the heavyweight scale. So we had to settle on sort of the... uh, Naive solution, I guess. You know, just make it an AR box, AR weld mint. See how that fails, because that is how most robots are made. That is how like a more reasonable person might approach this. And we we know a lot about like long bridges in heavyweights now. Also, the drive, the drive, the story of how the current drive system came together is crazy, because it literally came together. Like I think we were at like we finished ninety percent of it in like two days. I think like Kyle pulled an all-nighter. It was, that was kind of stressful, but a lot of fun. Oh, Peter, Peter helped us a lot. I was driving home from a tournament in Oklahoma and it was like a Sunday night and I had been up for way too long. And these guys were all on the phone. Like we are 50 pounds overweight. We got to redo everything. And so I get home, I come in, I sit down at my computer. I'm like, okay, where where are we at? And we were looking at some stuff and we're like, we're like, give it a half of the, batteries half of the drive motors just cut stuff up and so i threw together a couple of sketches and was like i'm going to sleep and over the next like two days kyle and josh did some crazy stuff and we had a basically three months of work replicated in two days which was absolutely insane andrew actually goes on to ask were components kept in proportion between the base and the weapon arm assembly this is in reference to as you scaled up or were you able to dedicate more to one based on preference? I think by proportion, we actually have less spinning mass. Uh, I, I've never done a full weight distribution. I just highlight the whole thing in SolidWorks and do uh, and just click estimate mass. And that ended up being relatively accurate. Um, I'm not sure if we tried to dedicate some things like, to other, like more weight to other things because yeah, we were mainly fo- I think we mainly focused on uh, keeping things proportionally but i'm not trying to remember because i we, we like redesigned part of the robot in like two or three days i think struct- structurally it's definitely completely a different robot like there's almost nothing uh identical with skyline the sandwich construction is gone like the uh weapon gear drive is gone the uh the four motor drive base is gone yeah it was it was almost like designing a whole new robot I was going to say based on the power density that you get in the three and 12 pound or the the motors 
power density that you can find in the three and 12 pounders. We had way more relative like drive motor mass on uh, Skyline than we do on Horizon. Um, the motors that we were putting on there, you can kind of just slap a big motor on something and it'll work at those smaller weight classes. But once you get to heavy weights, you need gearboxes, you need chain drives, you need a lot more um, of, of the more engineering bits and not just slapping an oversized motor onto it. So I would say we definitely lost relative motor mass um, and changed it out for gearboxes and, and other mechanisms in there. Yeah, looking back, I do agree with that. I have some good questions here from Mario Cast. First question is, what lessons or strategies from Skyline's past fights help Horizon prepare for BattleBots? Uh, let's see. Well, I think it, uh, it, 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 it felt like for me in, uh, for fights, fights-wise, it, it taught me to treat the robot as, well, of course, um, well, like a, like a full body spinner or something like where I don't try to focus on what's the front of the robot, what's the back of the robot and try to reorientate yourself. Um, all you do, or for me, thinking wise for for matches would be, I don't care what's the front and the back. As long as they go backwards, I will go towards the enemy. If I'm facing the other direction, if I'm facing the right direction, yes, I'll go forwards. But that's one of the things that um, I learned from building Skyline and designing that one too. Um, let's see. I would I would say um, Skyline did teach us how not to build. A drivetrain because it had a lot of drive failures due to uh, using really tiny gears for the drive and uh, we were gonna do that in the original original application for Horizon and uh, that taught us not to do that. Mario goes on to ask since it appears that Horizon is the first type of continuous double barrel horizontal spinner with two continuous rotational blades opposite one another what is Horizon's modularity weapon or defense design against verts, horizontals, and flipper-type bots? I think you guys are going to have to wait and see. Um, because we redesigned the robot so quickly, we didn't have a clear plan coming in to for for whoever we would face. Um, and obviously, you don't know who you're facing until you get there. But I think that our team was able to pull things together and make some changes based on the robots that we fought. So I think a lot of that is what you'll see in the season. I don't think you'll see Horizon enter the box looking the same way twice. Um, and I think that our one of the best things our team did is pull the robot together with a completely new setup for whoever we were facing, custom designed for them. It was real crazy how you could just... You know, in uh, I guess in past seasons, like Bite Force was the odd one out for like you know stripping the robot apart every time, but like we we unintentionally just ended up doing that, and uh, it was a lot of work, but we got real good at like stuffing TPU parts into the arm and stuff. Would you would you do it again? Would you have that same approach in future seasons? You know, I'd like to strip the robot apart every time. Um, but yeah, a lot of this stuff was designed in short notice. I really did not enjoy working on the arm because certain stuff just doesn't fit very well and you have to like cram it in because like we didn't have time to like, you know, work out the tolerance issues. But overall, like the arm was surprisingly serviceable, you know, 
two people can get it apart in 15 minutes. That's pretty cool. Ryder Liangle actually has a, a follow-up question. Um, and this is kind of in the same vein of the tip speed question that I had earlier, but it's actually interesting because because you actually have this rotating arm and you have uh, these these spinning horizontals at the end, Bridie wants to know, uh, does the tip speed limit at BattleBots focus on each individual uh, uh, spinner or is it combined? And are there any issues with the arm spinning around putting the weapon over the limit? Okay, so we were told by safety guy, you know, we're going to measure, we're going to determine the legality of the robot based on the tip speed as the arm is static. So basically they don't care about the combined effect. But for a more technical answer, right, our spinners and the arm are going in opposite directions. So when you think about it, at the spinner tip, at like the furthest place from the from the chassis, right, that's the outer arc. It's actually the difference between the uh, tip speed of the spinner and the tip speed of the arm. So, you know, if we're going 250 on the spinner and like 12 on the uh, arm, it's what? 238 tip speed, technically. So, you know, battle watts, you know, maybe we should get a little more tip speed. I have a series of questions here from Alex Pick from Northeastern University Combat Robotics Team. And Alex wants to know, how much does the arm weigh? So, okay, I'm actually qualified to answer this. I designed the arm. Um, Somewhere between 160 and 180 on paper. We didn't, as we said, the robot is quite underweight. We don't know if that weight came from the drive base or the arm, but uh, it's probably under that. It's probably closer to 150, 160. Well, we actually did put the drive base on um, the first time that we got it all buttoned up, and it read about 66 pounds. And our running weight into fights was about 100 or 230. So you could logically do a little bit of math, and you could say that we hit just about 170 on the arm, plus or minus a bit. Alex also asks, if I'm not mistaken, the arm spins in a direction counter to the spinners. How does that interaction work in fights, considering that hammer saws usually like to do the opposite? Yeah, so just correct about that. Because we use Newton's third law, the more optimal way would be to spin them both in the same direction. And that has stability benefits too, actually. It makes that would make the robot really stable. But uh overall this means we're clipping the face of a wedge other than the sides. And this may make it so that you know we we're able to punch the face of a wedge easier. But uh if we're spinning in the same direction, it's more of like a ripping off effect, which I think is more uh is more optimal. You've seen like Thagomizer and stuff do that at the lower weight classes. Um I would like to say, at least with Skyline, I can't talk about any of Horizon's fights, so you'll have to wait to see how we do. But Skyline has fought several robots that uh, have a pretty solid wedge on the front. And even though they're spinning in opposite directions, we've managed to get around the sides and rip wedges off or rip wheels off or just completely obliterate things. It does take, if you look at the slow motion, though, it does take like a particular kind of angle for that to happen if you're spinning in opposite directions. It has happened. Yeah, it does happen. Um, Maybe you'll see that, maybe you won't. I have a question here from Steve Dufort, who wants to know, do you have a strategy against box rushes to achieve full spin on time before engagement? Kyle, is a driver, you want to answer that? Yeah, my usual strategy is um, usually to try facing a side 
or a perpendicular side of the robot and usually trying to randomly go in a direction. So they don't know if I'm going to go to the left or to the right of them, which should buy us some time for spin up and engagement. And in that vein, I have I have another related question here from Alexander Archer, who says, um, how do you plan to win fights knowing that the entire field will have some sort of anti-horizontal spinner configuration? Easy. We'll hit them harder than their wedges can take. I mean, most of the horizontal spinners, if you watch them, they're like, hit the wedges and kind of just scrape against them a little bit. But I mean, Skyline or Horizon is designed to punch through and rip off wedges. Um, speaking of which, Alex, shout out to Alex. Uh, he made a plastic ant horizon that actually fought at macro a few weekends ago. Um, and it was really cool to see that. That's cool. That's cool. How many weight levels, uh, weight classes it's at now. Um, all right. I'm going to keep asking some fan questions here. Um, we have a, a semi-skeptical question from Jesse Mallon. So I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe, um, you know, tell Jesse a thing or two. Uh, in a field where even Bloodsport's sandwich blade is torn to pieces, is there anything special in the arm or pivot that will help keep Horizon in one piece against nasty verts? Well, uh, I think one of the problems with the club sandwich was that it was quite thin, and uh, the bolts, there was like a shearing action of the bolts whenever it got hit. Um, Horizon's arm is pretty thick for a spinner, so we don't think it'll get bent. Um, I'd like to think that we've done our due diligence in uh, sort of predicting the the propagation of stress through the arm tip so that when they do hit the blade, it won't like permanently mangle the arm or something. And uh, we we also do have like um, a lot of the electronics in the arm and all that have like around maybe half an inch of like space of TPU just protecting them. So that like helps against like shock and all that type of stuff too. Yeah, we saw how good TPU was in smaller weight classes, and so we decided we would just spam TPU everywhere for the heavyweight. So motors are shock mounted with TPUs. Every battery and every ESC is encased in big hunks of TPU. Just I mean everywhere. TPU. I mean there's no uh there's certainly no denying that horizon is sort of a glass cannon it's just really hard to like arm up something this big the way you'd arm up gruff but uh you know that's the thing of a glass cannon right you rely on everything else to like kill them before they kill you yeah and i think that's a that's a fair strategy um so wes from team death punch wants to know now that you got the rookie gimmick season out of the way although i think we can argue if it's truly a gimmick or not um, are we going to see a rotator-esque return with a single spinner configuration? Uh, hashtag MadDragon250. I only have one thing to say. We're keeping four wheels on the ground, and we're turning the spinner sideways. Four-wheel driver. <laughs> right, so it'll be like a bucket wheel es- uh, excavator if you've seen those. In reality, we haven't sat down as a team to figure out what the next season looks like. Um, I know Josh put together Mad Dragon and did a little bit of driving with that, and it really showed promise, although it's hard to drive. Um, so I think, I mean, you guys will see the fights, and you'll see what we learned through the fights. Um, but I think there will be some changes, um, but 
like I said, we haven't sat down as a team to figure out what those will be. That's fair. I'm sure you're still recovering. The season only just ended what feels like a, a couple weeks ago, maybe maybe a couple months ago. But um, yeah. All right. So we have a couple questions here uh, specifically for you, Peter. Um, the first one is from Matt Lantry, who runs the four bar lifter fallout at NHRL. Um, and he wants to know, uh, Peter, how, why, uh, did you start repeat robotics? How do you feel about other part providers and the beetle and ant space? No specific names need to be mentioned. Um, first off, uh, sorry about your robot, Matt. Um, the way I got started off, uh, Matt and I fought at the last Norwalk, um, and it was it was a good fight. It was a great fight. Um, the way I got started was I saw some really talented people pull together a really cool product. Um, the Killer Bees Robotics team put together a eleven oh four motor mated to a 16 mil gearbox with a printed adapter plate and i thought it was awesome and i also had been noticing that ant weights were not competitive to the level that beetles are because there aren't many part providers for them there's a couple of people who like uh, have a couple motor options but nobody was really focusing on ants so i talked to the guys who had developed the motors asked if they had any interest in commercializing it and they said no so i took a gamble and threw a couple thousand a, do- a couple thousand dollars into custom motors from china and pretty much everything snowballed from there um once i started making brushless motors i started seeing how they broke and trying to find new places to new p- people to build them new designs that would survive better and once I had brushless ones coming in, it wasn't much more work to throw a brushed motor on there. And so that's where Repeat Drive Brushed started coming out. And people seemed to really like it. I was trying to provide the best possible motor to anyone who wanted them. And so I've started pushing even further. I mean, I've made a sample run of 30-pounder motors. I've come out with Repeat Drive Max, which is on pre-order right now, um, which is the most powerful and to be proven most durable three pounder motor out there. And I'm really just trying to make the benefits of getting custom stuff done available to anybody who wants them. There have been far too many people spending tons of money to get custom stuff made. And I really just want to open that up to everybody. Just anybody who wants to have a competitive design should have the ability to buy the best of the best that's available out there. Hey, Peter, where could someone buy one of these uh, products that you are uh, you're putting out there? Repeat Drive products are currently for sale at repeat-robotics.com or through your local parts distributor, uh, IT Grasa or Palm Beach Bots. Love it. Love it. All right. Um, so we have another question here from prolific bot builder, Dominic Yankaskis, who writes, hi, Peter, what is on the horizon? Well, like I was saying, repeat drive max. Um, but for the team, I think we're going to come out with some really cool stuff. Um, I can't talk to you guys about how horizon d- did, but I, I mean, I think you guys will see it, it put on a show and it's not something that's going away. 
Love that. Love that even more. All right. So um, we have some unusual questions, which we have uh, gotten off to the end of the interview. Uh, we have actually quite a few, few. So um, bear with me from our uh, listeners. The first one is from Triton team member Shay Waffles Johns, who we all know and love. Uh, and she has an all caps moment. So just picture this being uh, written in all caps. Do y'all even know how much I adore this robot and the whole team's approach to design and combat robots? Do you? So uh, the question is, do, do you? I think we do. I think she made it very clear when we were at BattleBot. Yeah, sounds like a very shady answer. <laughs> All right, question. Yeah. <laughs> I think only one person could have uh, really uh, asked that. Um, okay. So uh, the next one is from uh, Ian, builder of Quicksand 2. Do you like theme park rides that have a spinner within a spinner like Horizon? Or do they just remind you of the impending deadlines to finish your robots? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll be uh, back at Disneyland for a couple months after this. But uh... All I'm saying is whenever I'm on the spinner in spinner rides, it's usually not a time when I have those impending deadlines. <laughs> I hope I don't get reminded of that. <laughs> uh, well, here's a, another memory for you. Um, good question from fellow Southern California base builder Coleman Christie. Were you disappointed when you found out that Globe Trotter was not accepted for World Championship 7? So another another trip down memory lane there. Yeah, that one was tough. I know Dylan's not on here, but he took it pretty bad. Uh, I think he just started drinking lab-grade ethanol because the whiskey didn't have enough alcohol in it at that point. Um, you know, he's bouncing back. Uh, there's been some controversy over, you know, whether weight, Orb should get the weight bonus, but I think it's all looking up because there's plenty of innovations we want to try on the design, like, you know, off axis gyros and stuff. Overall, we think we can make orb a precision guided munition. Who doesn't want to be chased around the box by, uh, you know, the deadliest basketball ever made. Josh, you got to be careful when you say those words in those orders, this is going online. You can't be talking about our precision guided munition plans. That'll get you put on a list. Uh, but all I have to say about globe trotter is, uh, we want season eight. We're coming for you. We're coming for the other robots. And most of all, we're coming for the floor. <laughs> all right. So can we confidently say here that Globetrotter will be applying for season eight? Or is that too spoilery? That's too spoilery. If you don't want to, if you don't want to say it. <laughs> it. It depends on the results of our precision guided. Uh, so I never. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> It's so top secret, even uh, even you are not fully aware of its uh, title. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so um, Joe from Team Don't Blow Yourself Up was in the audience at BattleBots, and he writes, The, hmm, I've never heard of this one. Wait, oh my god, did they build what I think they built? <laughs> Reaction around me in the audience for every single one of your fights was fantastic. Just wanted to pass that one on. Um, and I have to echo that I was in the audience, uh, for some of those fights as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that sentiment was shared by everyone, which I think is what you really want. Um, Joe's, uh, uh, question is, uh, was there ever a version of horizon and the concept or prototype stage, which featured a powered arm? Yes. Actually, that was the first version. Oh, wow. If you scroll back on my 
my team's Instagram, you'll see a design called Project Agus that was essentially a powered arm. Uh, so we found out that like somebody else was doing a powered arm too, aka Ferocity. Uh, that's one of the things that caused me to sort of backtrack and say, okay, do we do we want to bring something new? Do we want to like step back to the previous iteration, which was this freely spinning arm for a while? And the answer was yes, because like I think Ferocity put a good amount of effort into designing that gearbox, which is not there on our design. So we save a lot of weight by uh, actually making the arm free spinning and a lot of engineering effort. So overall, that was just a better first robot. And there's not just for uh, there's not just the the first one. Um, we had a couple of prototypes that came out where the discs themselves touched the ground and spun backwards, kind of like a melty brain that was driven by an internal drive base. Um, we talked <laughs> we talked jokingly about slapping some big EDFs on the arm to push it the the other direction. Um, there's Mad Dragon, which is Josh's turret spinner, which has one weapon, and you can either point the wedge or the weapon towards someone and still do the thwacking options. So there's tons of different prototypes and ideas that came with the powered spinner, but we kind of just decided that the complexity wasn't there. The benefit wasn't there for for the complexity. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, so, all right, Joe has a, another question. Why do tacos feature prominently in Horizons theming? The taco has an interesting history. Yeah, it started when we started prototyping. <laughs> and I already continue. Yeah, so the first version, right? The first way we thought we were going to self-write Horizon is by, you know, putting this ring that lets the robot just like free spin upside down. And eventually it'll do the flip out thing you see it do and just end up on its feet. And we called it the tortilla bowl because that's what it actually looked like. Right. So then we uh, we were talking one night and I just sketched up this thing. It looked like a lemon wedge on top of the robot. And I showed it to everyone. Let's put a lemon wedge on top of the robot. But since we already had the tortilla bowl as precedent, we just ended up calling it the taco. And honestly, I thought it looked ugly. I didn't like it at all. But it has become such a such a major like icon. It's, it's not going away anytime soon. I mean, tacos are delicious. Why wouldn't you want tacos to be part of your robot? Because the other robot might take a bite out of it. <laughs> that's, that's actually a good point um but uh i personally love the taco and uh i'm glad that it's it's sticking around um joe has maybe a controversial question i don't know that you want to answer it or, or maybe you do um was globetrotter ever real yes yes perfect um VV Tribal has another good question. What type of chocolate or candy bar is Horizons Bar? I think it's, I don't know, I'll have to check. We didn't do a specific chemical analysis. But I know it's, it's got some sort of uh, cobalt microparticles in it. I don't know if you want to eat that, but it's great for, uh, it's great for the structural rigidity. We didn't use white chocolate because uh, it doesn't contain as much carbon low carbon content it's just not very hard in the bowl is there still a nougat center uh yeah we did make some of the blades with that you know um the nougat center it does prevent the blade from shattering altogether but i believe the uh overall rigidity is a bit lower which is why we never ran this <laughs> all right uh let's wrap up this interview with a series of deeply philosophical questions from horizon team member and sponsor 
our very own Mary Catherine Carr. Uh, how did the team come together from all over the U.S. and what challenges did you face because of it? Yeah, the interesting thing about Horizon is never really supposed to exist. The uh, prototype version was uh, the prototype version was kind of an April Fool's joke, but everybody loved it, so we started doing it. So the original team, which is me, Alon, Kyle, Connor, and Dylan. Dylan was actually the first member of Team Horizon. He was the first person on the team. I just met Dylan through. Uh, throughout the arena on discord um that's also how we met connor he was uh complaining about the weather in california we're like oh california guy who builds robots okay you're on the team um alan alan another socal person i think we've been to one event together uh kyle been to several events together i just talked him up we dragged him into uh out of the arena voice chat one day and you know he was interested um and I th- we met Peter at BattleBots. That's how he and uh, Alicia, that's how they sort of got on the team. Uh, Price, I've actually been talking to Price for a while. Back when I was designing the original and Price was on Jackpot, she was like answering my questions about the robot through uh, social media DMs. Um, and she left the team and, uh, you know, we were looking for someone to do sponsors. And she said, oh, well, I can do that. Kai, we sort of know through uh, Derek. Uh, first, I was like, ah, do we really want a custom ESC guy? He, but you know, we talked to him. He, he really knew what he was talking about. He was, had a promising product. So, hey, we uh, hooked up one of his motors to the Mad Catter, to part like the Mad Catter weapon system, and it worked. So, you know, we said, you know, Kai's going to do our ESCs. Uh, of course, uh, Justin, I think we talked about how Justin got on. Tommy, yeah, I've known Tommy for over three years. Uh, he's been on a lot of teams. So, you know, when we asked him, yeah, hey, you want to come over, run a mini bot? And yeah, he was uh, he was great on the team, actually. Yeah, that's basically that's basically how it came together in chronological order, I believe. That's a, a lot of people to wrangle, especially, you know, it sounds like a lot of you are in California, but still, you know, that's a, a lot of people. What were some of your biggest challenges as a rookie team? Mary wants to know. I would, I would definitely say getting sponsors because you know they 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 haven't really seen like what we could do or what we were capable of, and you know like oh, are you guys really a team or something like that? So that that was definitely one of like our, our hardest challenges. I think one of the other hard challenges was just pulling the robot together. Um, I had to stay on the sidelines, you know, a five or six hour plane flight away from the robot as it was getting put together. And because all of us have jobs and school and other stuff that we're doing, it was just hard to find the time to be where the robot was and get the robot put together. Mostly California team sounds good on paper, but when you actually deal with logistics, it can be quite challenging. Especially when mostly California team means half of them in North California and half of them in South California. Exactly. Because those are like four Midwestern states away from each other. Yeah. Um, All right. So Mary wants to know, what are your favorite tacos? In my opinion, the best tacos um, for anyone who's in Texas is gas station tacos. Um, I have not been let down by a gas station taco since I moved here. Um, I'll go for carne asada any day. Mm, I'd probably go with anything with like carnitas in it or something like that. I'll say, uh, say carne asada and specific name drop. If you're ever in Davis, California, 
Guads has uh, great tacos. I'm going to make a note of that. Um, did you get up to any shenanigans in Vegas? Definitely can't talk about all the shenanigans we got in Vegas, but uh, go look through floor posting. Um, see it, see if you can find anything. <laughs> Fair. All right. I respect that. Um, and then the last question that we have here comes uh, again from Mary. What tips or advice do you have for future rookies? Start early. That will alleviate 90% of the problems we ran into. Build build a good team. Get people who uh, know what they're doing and are able to help you when with the stuff that you aren't great at. And uh, find someone who can help you circumvent vests in general. I think <laughs> that's a good takeaway from, from this interview, too. Yeah, Rory's already got a team. So, I mean, you either kidnap him and bring him to the States or uh, figure something else out. <laughs> or just run blushed. Like it's twenty, like it's two thousand seven. <laughs> <laughs> There's always brushed. That's right. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking with us, Joshua, Kyle, and Peter. We can't wait to see Hurain in the Battle Box again soon. And just thank you so much for your time. This this was super great. Yeah, thank you as well. Thank you guys for having us. It was great talking about the robot, and I can't wait for you guys to see us fight on tv first episode airs january 5th on discovery and i think tbs uh this year so i don't know uh you know which episode your first one is but man can't wait to see it and i know that uh the fans are gonna fall in love with it it's just such a, a unique and cool bot so well done after the break we'll return with this week's installment of robots around the world Welcome back from the break. Time for robots around the world. This week we're traveling to MIT, where researchers have built tiny robotic fireflies that communicate using flashes of light. The researchers built a swarm of mechanical fireflies that each weigh about the same as a paperclip. They're too small to carry traditional communication equipment, so instead they use light to signal to one another and with their human operators. The researchers say the robot fireflies might one day be used to search a collapsed building for survivors and relay for help using light. Okay. A paperclip. This is something that I have dreamed of. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, Not specifically for this purpose, but I have dreamed of little tiny, let's call them drones, but in this case, they're fireflies. (laughs) things that shine a light okay because (laughs) chris is hiding his head in his hands imagine you tell the story and then i'll tell the story of the way that you presented it to me okay so we live in the hudson valley and when you drive from uh the duchess side duchess county side to the ulster county side you uh pass over a bridge um over the hudson river that has a magnificent view of the Catskill Mountains. Now, the sad thing is that when the sun goes down, you can't see the mountains anymore. It's too dark. So I had the, let's call it brilliant, because I'm humble, but I can acknowledge when there's a brilliant idea at hand, you take millions of tiny, (laughs) (laughs) millions of tiny lighted drones, and you just, you just kind of like mimic the mountainscape. So that way, when you're driving over the bridge, 
you really oh yeah wow look at those brilliant lighted mountains how <laughs> wonderful this is gorgeous whoever had this idea for an art installation is just just the smartest it, it is an environmental disaster waiting to happen <laughs> i think i think that your 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 exact proposition was that we take drones with lights on them and we crash them into no! the mountains. That I that was your exact no! language. I never what said we, crash. We crash them into the mountains, and so that you can have the lights there. Why? Why would the drones crash? No, they're supposed to hover above the mountain, mm. just to kind of give you a silhouette of the mountainscape. Mm-hmm. You said then they're going to crash. No, but I don't not if so. you use good drones. Uh, I think you said that we got to crash these drones into these never. mountains. Yeah, never. <laughs> no. Uh, why? Why don't? Why don't the drones just uh, form a big ball in the sky and become an artificial sun, Lindsay, shining over the Catskills? I didn't think of that. That's maybe easier. Okay. All right. No, I I just think like you know think about Christmas time when you have those little white lights that like highlight things it's so cozy it's so wonderful now we can uh-huh. use these fireflies to highlight the mountains um uh, really across the world it doesn't just have to be the catskill mountains i think that we could start small and we'll put some of our neighbors to shame <laughs> we'll just have a like an artificial mountainscape with flying drones for christmas time <laughs> above our house and then if you want, you could crash the drones into our house to make it permanent, like a year-round installation. Um, I don't I still can't get into the idea of the crashing. Mm-hmm. What if a, a little bear tried to eat one? I would never suggest crashing. Well, I mean, if they're only as big as a paperclip, then I guess it's all right. They'll pass pretty easily. <laughs> paperclip. Hey, it looks like you're building a robot. Hey, it looks like you're building a robot. <laughs> hey, it looks like you're building a robot. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode. I'd like to give a special shout out also to Sam, who has uh, gifted us this incredible uh, outro music. Um, Sam, uh, our one of our favorite NHRL henchmen, And all around, uh, classy gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, We'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Happy New Year, everyone. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.